Welcome to Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're two best friends entering the world of true crime. We'll be sharing the stories of some of the worst and wildest true crime cases in history. And we're taking you along for the ride. In this episode, it's the season finale. But we are going to be looking at the infamous Bonnie and Clyde. How are you? I'm all right. Can you believe it's been 15 episodes already? I know. This is the end of season two. It's gone so quickly, hasn't it? I remember when we were first, when we were virgins entering this room. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, so season one, episode one. And we sat down and I, and I, we were just, just as we were about to start, my heart went and I was like, "Ah, I don't know what to say. Yeah. And uh, I think producer Alex will vouch for this, even though you can't hear her. She'll probably be nodding. How much anxiety we had every time. And we'd be like, were we okay? And she'd have to like, she was like a therapist for us for like the first season. Because she was always reassuring us that everything was okay. Like, it's fine. Like, it's doing really well and people like it. Obviously, a lot of people also hate us, but as you know, comes to the turn. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. But. To I think now, like, we come in here, we come with up, we get our Starbucks every day, every time, we sit down, we just do it, and then we go home, and we don't go over the whole thing in the car on the way back, like, saying, oh, was that all right? Oh, I'm really worried that people are going to don't like that, because we're just, we're just in our stride now. I'm just excited. Each week, I'm excited to either hear what you're about to tell me, or I'm yeah. excited to tell you about what we're going to talk about, and that... And I'm, I'm pleased and I love the interaction that we get like on social media from like all you lovely listeners. Like, yeah, just um, so we we do have to have a season by season approach because, you know, a lot of work goes into it. Yeah. Um, and we need to plan out. We need to plan what we're going to talk to you about next. Yeah. Um, but also, like, I am going to have a baby and I'm really sorry that it's, it means we have to stop for a little um, bit. Can we just talk about this for a sec? Because obviously we've been talking about your pregnancy this season because it's been the season that Danny mm. has been pregnant. Yeah. But it, I was thinking about this earlier uh, in some sort of water-based activity that I was doing. I can't right. remember if it was bathing or shower. So because you felt like a baby. Well, I think I just <laughs> think a lot when I'm in water, whether I'm washing my hands, like doing washing up or showering or bathing. Like I just... It's like it's I like do. it's like eleven from um from Stranger Things, yeah. which is in the tub oh, thing. Yeah. But anyway, I was thinking, the next time we record a season, Danny will have given birth. Yeah. And like, <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, I can say this because you're my best friend, and we both are totally freaked out by the idea of pregnancy and childbirth. I'm genuinely- and you're gonna put yourself through that. I don't understand it. <laughs> Like, it's very scary. Oh, yeah, I'm really yeah. excited. Yeah, um, but it's also like, oh my god, the song's like, you know, it's gonna come out of me like an alien. It's gonna be another one of you. You've something so, that you yeah. have created, like your cells. You had sex, and then it made an explosion happen, and you grew something in you Everybody that, that knows gave you diabetes. Had, yeah, everybody you had knows sex. I had sex. <laughs> Disgusting. Disgusting. Done. Yeah, is that fucking crazy that you're gonna be in like you're gonna have a child? Yeah. Um. So oh I was God. having this sort of thought about like you know obviously we'll record and there'll be childcare and it will be fine. But there may be times where I have to bring her with me. 
And I she was like, better not be noisy though. I she went, no, everybody loves cute little baby gurgles. <laughs> My sister just used to creak like a door when she was a baby. Really? She'd just lie there and go. Eh. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and I so there'll be a very limited window where I can sort of like consciously bring her in mm. to record with us because I don't want her to hear about all this horrible stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like, um, it might might put her to sleep. Well, if it does, do we worry about that? I don't know. I don't know. I think <laughs> we'll keep her away. It'll be fine. But um, yeah, so that is, we have to take a little break. But we will be back with season three. I'm already so excited for it. Yeah, because we we just been discussing before we started recording, like, what do you want to, what should we cover next? Yeah. So we're, we're well excited. And actually, this would be a really great opportunity for you lot to like DM us on Instagram. If there's anything that you've seen that you'd like our spin on. Yeah. Us to tell you a story of. Let us know. The People's Podcast. In it. I think one thing to highlight from the series is Sarah. Oh, that's Sarah. Oh. Is that Helen still hasn't learned to speak. Is that we are at 1.4 million streams now. Yeah, that was a really big milestone. Fucking mental. We reached over a million streams, and that is so unreal oh, i actually might be sick of the bin <laughs> i'm feels... so excited by this and i'm so grateful to every single one of those i mean several of those are my mum yeah and me one, oh, one yeah. a week is me and one a week is also <laughs> I, me. I like to listen back and see how we sound oh god we're gonna add this up now one is also my husband <laughs> <laughs> and my sister um oh god <laughs> it's just our family it's just us. <laughs> there's only 12 other people out there no it's just it is really like mental. I think um, I, will, I will say is that uh, I think with each episode, our respect for everything about the podcasting space and the true crime space, yeah, man, grows immensely. And um, and every single day, my respect and my love for all the listeners just yeah. grows. My heart is full, and it's nice. I love I love it when people message us and say. And tell us things or like tell us they saw a crane. Yeah. I, I genuinely, the amount of people and I've had, tell you what, since last week what? Um, or not last week, week before last, I've had several rice and gravy fans. Look, I've, me. I've and not I'm not alone and I love it. Uh, Thank uh, you guys. Uh, <sighs> I want some more DMs to do with the podcast. I've not had many crane ones. It's because you don't post enough crane content. Fine. I'm gonna go I've, t- I've got a great one. I've got a crane in the dark. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, but I'm going to do some crane stuff. Um, I liked the can of salmon as well. Yeah. I like the, the theme of the can of salmon <laughs> from episode one has stuck with me. Oh, well, you'll enjoy today's episode. Oh, really? Because I've snuck him in there. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's exciting. Who's <laughs> been your favourite episode? It's got to be Archibald Hall, doesn't it? Yeah, was... Archibald with the... Um... He was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, with his... Yeah. Was, but, then although, I, but then I also really enjoyed learning about Kuklinski. Yeah, from last week. Um, I'm going to go back early season two. Uh, Dennis Nilsson, that was a really wild one with yeah. um, flushing the body parts down the toilet. I'm never going to be over that, I don't think. I think about that often. Yeah. Yeah. But what do you have for us today, Helen? We'll move on. Otherwise, okay, we'll just talk about yeah. this is just going to be an introspective right. episode. Okay. We do actually have a purpose. Yeah. Sorry. Today we're going to be talking about Bonnie and Clyde. 
Ooh. And we've all heard about Bonnie and Clyde. We have. But I didn't I have not I don't know the story of Bonnie and Clyde up until now. I Did think, you? I think I do, but I think I also know that I don't because there's so many different representations of Bonnie and Clyde and the um early noughties townie in me just goes back to Jay-Z and Beyonce's Bonnie and Clyde Part One, the song. I was your girlfriend. <laughs> I'd be there for you. Beautiful. Yeah, and um, that's not an accurate retelling of actual Bonnie and Clyde. That's just a song. So, uh, no, I don't... I feel like I, I know bits, but I, I don't actually know what really happened. Right, so I'm going to tell you. I'm excited. So what makes this case so remarkable, historic... Iconic, all the onyx, is that this is basically a Romeo and Juliet like romance. It's unbreakable. It's pure. It's a pure love that ignites in unfortunate circumstances. It's dangerous, and the inevitable end always seems to be looming. But their love is unstoppable. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, okay. Okay, let me try. That wasn't the right one, no, was no, it? No, no, no. No, no. Okay, let's try this one. Let's try it. Right. Each time you have to be that one. Okay. Their love was unstoppable. Those birds do not quit. It's a button, all right? I'm thinking about labelling these because we're the only people that use this room. I don't think they'll take them off. I don't think we are anymore. Oh. I came in and my pop shield was in a different position. And I, But I will be doing them a favour. <laughs> Anyway, I like the surprise each time, to be oh, honest. Okay. So let's set the scene. It's a late May afternoon in the early 30s in the USA. A besotted couple are driving across country to pay a family friend a visit. It's a friend they've not seen in a while and they owe their own one. But this isn't just a cup of tea and a catch-up. This is a doomed mob boss meeting that is about to end in smoke, gunfire and death. Before the end of the day, star-crossed lovers Bonnie and Clyde would be shot with over 130 rounds of ammunition. But what did they do to deserve such wrath? And what made them the most famous killer couple in American history? Ooh. Ooh. No, I'm not going to touch it. <laughs> let's get back to the start. Let's do ladies first. So let's talk about Bonnie. Okay. Right. Bonnie Elizabeth Parker was born in Texas in 1910 to parents Charles Robert Parker and Emma Parker. Sadly, her father, who was a bricklayer, died when Bonnie was just four years old. So her mother moved the family back to her parents' home in Cement City sounds charming it it was an industrial suburb in west dallas and looked exactly like it sounded it was just a bit it's not nice a bit rough i, I googled it Ooh. oh okay you if you saw it on right move you wouldn't be it's not the one nah bypass it's bypass scrolling. So, okay yeah bonnie was the middle of three children and was pretty unsatisfied of her life she was obsessed, however, with movies and Hollywood and she had dreams of becoming a famous actress and living the high life. She was actually pretty creative as well. Uh, she would write poems and plays. She'd put herself in scenes and then dress up and take photos. In today's time, 
she would be an inspiring influencer, that's for sure. She'd be on the TikTok, doing the TikToking. Oh, she'd be TikToking. She would be. She was actually a, so beautiful as well. Like, she looked the part and she, you could see Aww. her movie star, I'd say. Age 15, in her second year of high school, Bonnie, hoping for a life of a little more money, she ditched school and met and married Roy Thornton, two years her senior. And let's just say he was not a nice guy. Roy was a criminal and would cheat on Bonnie, going missing for long stretches of time and getting in trouble with the law. Meanwhile, on the other side of Dallas, Clyde was getting in all sorts of trouble. Clyde Champion. Great middle name. Is, that's not his last name. That was his middle name. Clyde Champion Barrow. Shut the front door. Yes, cool, isn't it? Champion. Yeah. It's, like, oh, it's nice, isn't it? I know that they did some bad things, but I want to use Champion as a middle name now. Good, isn't it? Imagine being able to be like, Champion's my middle name. Yeah. And it not be a lie. I know. Oh, well, he, they've set him up for failure there, haven't they? So he was born the year before Bonnie, in 1909, in a large family of seven children to parents Henry Basil Barrel, I fucking love the name Basil, and Kumi Talifa Walker. I'm sorry, what? Kumi. Kumi. Yeah, spell it. C-U-M-I-E. Kumi. Kumi. No, I don't want to name my child Kumi. <laughs> continue the family was very poor that's in capitals they grew up on farmland during the great depression then just to i think we might have spoken about the great depression before i can't remember have we anyway just really just to remind us the great depression was a really shit time for the economy in america the stock market lost almost 90 percent of its value between 1929 and 1933. 11,000 banks failed during the Great Depression. Then the average family income dropped by 40%. Wow. Just got those facts off Google, but that just puts it into context as to what it was and why people, what people were going through. It was just a terrible time. A shit time. Yeah, real bad. Um, loads, so, loads of stuff went happened down at Wall Street. It was just like, pfft, stock market just pfft, completely went. So times are hard. So they lived on a farm. But their crops and cattle were constantly killed by huge sandstorms because they lived in a dust bowl. So in, in the hope of living a better life, when Clyde was little, the family moved into the city in search of work. But they were so poor that they spent their first months living under their wagon until they had saved enough for rent. There isn't known much about Clyde's education, possibly because he didn't actually get one owing to his to his economic circumstances but what we do know is by his late teens he was already in trouble with the law for the likes of failing to return a rented car on time possessing stolen turkeys (laughs) possession of stolen turkey not even for stealing the turkeys just for having i know right (laughs) okay robbing stores stealing vehicles cracking safes and uh, there was no signs of salmon, cans of salmon. Yeah, I feel like the turkey was a can of salmon. That's it, an escalation, though. He's gone from possessing turkeys to stealing cars. And safes. And safes. Cracking safes. That's quite a skill. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but criminal. In January 1930, when Clyde was 19, 
he went to visit a friend of his, Clarence Clay. Clarence was helping out a friend of hers, Bonnie, after she'd broken her arm. Bonnie was staying with Clarence while she recovered and was making hot chocolate in the kitchen when Clyde Champion Barrow walked straight in there. Aww. That couldn't be any more, like, yeah. Fitting, that still yeah. does make me think of The Sims, though. Oh. And, and then they turned around and went, Come on, <laughs> They chatted a little. They flirted a little. And just like that, they fell in love. And they were inseparable. Onlookers would say that when they looked at each other, sparks would fly. Oh. Yeah. But it wasn't long until Clyde's past started to catch up with him. And him and his turkeys. The turkeys are just, they wouldn't let him go. <laughs> Come back. It's just like a Harry Hill sketch. It's just <laughs> running around with like a line of turkeys behind him. Yeah. Okay. In April 1930, just a few short months after Clyde and Bonnie had started seeing each other, Clyde was arrested and convicted for auto theft and sent to Eastern Prison Farm. Clyde's first day in prison was actually very short-lived thanks to his new girlfriend. Bonnie soon came to visit Clyde and snuck in a gun. So she toyed with this idea, risk getting caught and thrown into jail too, or risk it and do something that seemed like a storyline from a movie, you know. Oh, because she really likes she loved yeah. Hollywood and all that. So she was okay. like, you know, do I risk my life or do I ramp up my to get some excitement do i live the story yeah exactly so she did she she smuggled him a weapon where i don't up a skirt or something like you know, it's not like they had like security thingies then those days like the machines or x-ray machines yeah, so she could have put it up a bum hole or something i don't know i like, don't think you could fit it no but in a like she, she could have just shoved it in a in pants, pants or in a bra. i think frisking a woman down in those days would probably also have been frowned upon so interesting so, well obviously actually I guess in those days, it probably wouldn't have occurred to a lot of people that a woman would even be capable of such unladylike exactly. adventures. That they hadn't, you know, they didn't wear trousers very much then. There no. was no pockets to keep our mischief in. No. So she got this gun in to help him escape from prison. Unfortunately for the Starcross lovers, Clyde's freedom was short-lived and he was almost immediately recaptured and sent back to jail where things were about to get a hell of a lot worse for old Clyde. Uh-uh. This next stint in prison nearly killed him. He was worked long hours in the labour camp, uh, which was part of prison, and he almost died due to working long, hard hours under the blazing Texas sun. They'd only get like five minute break a day um, just for a bit of water and stale bread. So is this like chain gang? Yeah, like right. the striped okay. trouser yep. thingy. See you there. Yeah, like, oh, brother. Oh, man, I've constant sorrow. (laughs) We both went there. Yeah, Yeah. we did. When he wasn't out doing hard labour, he was getting bullied and sexually assaulted by a fellow inmate who very much had had in for him. Oh, shit. For six months, he was continually raped. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, that's going to do things to a person's mind, isn't it? defo. It was during this time that Clyde changed... As one inmate, Ralph Fultz, claimed, this stint in the big house turned Clyde from a schoolboy into a rattlesnake. Whoa. Yeah. On October 29th, 1931, Clyde found and snuck a piece of galvanised metal piping into his cell. 
He lured the abuser into the toilets and as soon as they were alone, he turned, swung his attacker, almost taking the top of his skull clean off. Fuck! Yeah. His attacker was dead and Clyde was now a killer. But this is actually like a real sound thing for someone to do. Luckily for Clyde, another inmate who had witnessed the abuse and who was serving a life sentence for murder anyway took the blame. Oh. He was like, I'm already in here for life, so I might as well just say I did it. Oh, yeah. well, that's nice. Nice, nice isn't a, it? Like a prison yeah. way. Yeah. He, it would mean that Clyde would avoid any more jail time. But Clyde wanted out. And in an attempt to at least maybe even get taken off labour duty, he cut off two of his own toes. Oh, jeez. Right. But, bless him, unbeknownst to Clyde, his mother had been petitioning to get him out of prison the whole time and just six days after he mutilated himself he was let out of jail thanks to the campaign for release oh so if he'd held off his plans just for another week he wouldn't be walking with a limp for the rest of his life oh goodness which toes did he cut off i don't know but he had a limp yeah he was really you don't often see a limp in there when they're in you know the tv shows or the films yeah yeah, that's interesting. Clyde limped out of prison in February 1932, straight into the arms of his beloved Bonnie. In Aww. love and hell-bent on revenge, Bonnie and Clyde formed the Barrow Gang. The gang was made up of Bonnie, Clyde, Clyde's older brother Buck and his wife Blanche, and W.D. Jones, a childhood friend of the Barrow Brothers, and their aim was to collect enough money and firepower to launch a raid against Eastern Prison and release as many inmates as possible, causing havoc and enacting revenge for the hard months Clyde had spent time there. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a big, that's a big fish. That's a big, big heist in it. Yeah, it's a big old job. Things started slowly with the gang. They kicked things off, robbing hardware stores, petrol stations and grocery stores. Sometimes they were caught. Bonnie spent some time in jail writing poems and fantasising about Clyde. And sometimes they weren't. But things soon started to get dark with their robberies leading to outright murder. In April 1932, Clyde was the getaway driver in a robbery in town during which the store owner, J.N. Butcher, was shot dead. A couple of months later, Clyde was drinking moonshine with a couple of members of the gang at a country dance in Stringtown, Oklahoma, when a couple of police officers, Sheriff C.J. Maxwell and Deputy Eugene C. Moore, approached them to see if they were getting up to no good. Without warning, Clyde and his buddies opened fire on the sheriff and the cop, killing them both. Oh, wow. So it, you can imagine, like, it's proper like it is in the films, the old Western films where they're just kind of going around, oh, what the wow, pew, 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 I'm going to rob this place. Oh, there's a police, pew, pew. Like, back then, it just wasn't a... They were lawless. They were lawless, yeah. They, and you kind of could get away with it more just because of the tech and the vehicles and everything was just a little bit basic. It was... Well, oh, it was old school. Old school, yeah. So it was a bit more, let's get him, do more stuff. But yeah, so he's really stopped giving a fuck. They have no intention of living in sort of like society. No. <laughs> I'm not listening to your rules. I, I tried being nice to you. 
<laughs> coming to the edge. Coming to the edge. On Christmas Day that year, Clyde and his buddy W.D. Jones, who was 16 at this point, killed a young family man called Doyle Johnson while stealing his car. And they started off January 1933 as they'd ended 1932 by killing again. Clyde murdered Tarrant County Deputy Malcolm Davis on January 6th after a few of his cronies wandered into a trap that Malcolm had set to catch another criminal. By March 1933, Bonnie Clyde, W.D. Jones, Buck and his wife Blanche had found a new home in Joplin, Missouri. They stayed in a little shack of a house and were causing absolute mayhem. They would hold loud, rowdy parties nightly and it was said that men came in and out of the house noisily at all hours of the night, drunk and wanted to play card games. They really just doing what they want. Like, they don't give a fuck about yeah. anybody else. They don't give They're a shit. Just going around with the guns. Found this house and they just, this party house. Right. Blanche actually recalled that the group bought a case of beer a day. What's interesting is that even though there were whispers around the community, no one ever went up to the house to complain, although that might be because of reports of gunshots in the house at the time. I don't think you'd want to do that. <laughs> no, I think if you did do that as well, there's no way you would live. No, exactly. There? Yeah. Excuse me, um, I'm trying to have, I'm trying to sleep. I've got work in the morning. I'm on the yeah. night shift. Pew. Yeah, but like also the longer they live with no consequence, the more like, I guess that sort of mindset will set in like, you know, we do what we want because we can. Yeah, exactly. So their neighbours just didn't dare. Yeah, I probably wouldn't. That would be one where you know where you go into your eyes and you're like, fuck's sake, these fucking people again, rah, rah, rah. And then if you saw them on the street, you'd be like, hi. Yeah. One brave neighbour did report the group to the police though. And on April 13th, Five-man police force in two cars went to confront the group, suspecting that the group were drinking and selling alcohol, which was very illegal because this was during the Prohibition. So, oh. like, so like, on top of partying and being louts, they were actually illegally drinking too. So, the police arrived at this small house, armed with a few guns, just in case, but... What they didn't know is that the Barrow gang had enough guns to fill an armoury in their squat. Oh, <laughs> they just fucking had so many guns. They just stole guns a lot. From the ones that they've stolen? Yeah, they just stole so many. Like, they wow. just always okay. had a shit ton of guns. Okay. So the gang immediately opened fire on the police, letting loose with automatic rifles and pistons. A detective and police constable were hit and killed, and other police officers were also injured. Bullets were flying everywhere. WD was hit in the shoulder. Clyde was shot in the abdomen, but the bullet ricocheted off his jacket button. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I know. And Buck was almost hit, but the bullet only grazed him. Oof. The gang started to flee, jumping in their very fast Ford V8, abandoning the bloody crime scene and getting out of there. All except Blanche. She was found by the gang a little later running down the road trying to to fight her dog Snowball but oh. Snowball was nowhere to be found oh I feel like Blanche seems like the one that's trying to be a bit homely <laughs> okay guys oh poor Blanche okay you guys go steal your guns I'll just be here with dinner I'll get the case of beer yeah <laughs> I have your beer the police could do nothing but watch the Barrow gang speed off down the road. The Ford V8 had much more horsepower than their cop cars and there was no way that they were ever going to catch them. Now, 
This fateful day made the papers and it was because of this shootout that the whole of America found out about Bonnie and Clyde. So obviously Ah. they have fleed and the police searched the house and they found a lot of stuff. They found a lot of interesting clues about the gang, mostly thanks to Bonnie. So Bonnie was obsessed with films and being famous, weren't she? Right. So she took a lot of photos. Oh. Yeah, so there's so they had all this undeveloped film, which they went and got developed. And on these films were pictures, obviously, of the gang, but lots of pictures of Bonnie and Clyde together, her dressing up. There's a very uh, famous picture of her leaning up against the car with... Um, a gun on like this oh, and a cigar hanging I out I think her I've mouth. seen that, yeah. And for a woman in the 30s to, to be dressed like that, posing like that, was like, fuck. Just wasn't done. It just wasn't done. But um, these are probably the most famous pictures of Bonnie and Clyde. And they were in that house when they raided it. So these were then just plastered all over the newspapers oh, because so they had every, pictures of them right so, so yeah you know, people are going to be able to recognize them now and yeah so the press got a hold of the pics published them alongside one of bonnie's poems that was found in the house the poem was called the story of suicide sal and it went a little bit like this i left my old home for the city to play in its mad dizzy whirl not knowing how little of pity it holds for a country girl Sounds like a Dolly Parton song. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? So she really was like a creative soul. She really was. And she was so in love with Clyde. That is why she kind of went along with this whole thing. Well, they were so in love with each other. And the amount of times her family had said to her, you need to break it off with him, or what are you doing? But they were just so inseparable. It wasn't even a case of like, she was like more in love with him. Like it no. wasn't like a, she was, they were so in love with each other and she was just blinded by their love and just would do anything. It's hard not to romanticise it a bit, isn't it? No. Yeah. Well, yeah. But yeah. But you don't really need to. She didn't really, but she didn't really do anything. Like it was always him doing the, the mostly doing the. She's enabling it though. Criminaling. She is enabling it. Do you think? Well, she took him a gun in prison to break out. Yeah, I suppose. But she wants him out of prison because she loves him. Yeah, but she's not saying, Clyde, have you thought about just stopping it? No. It's true that. Is she? Do you think also, like, her life is literally a Hollywood storyline? Yeah, I think, I like, I get the impression that she kind of probably is quite enjoying the drama. And the the thrill. The thrill of it from being a small town country girl. Also the notoriety, I guess, eventually Mm -hmm. is going to be sort of slightly appealing yeah now strangely enough the murderous lovers didn't mind having their photo in the papers because it was the great depression mid-prohibition and generally a bit shit of a time in the u.s most people who read the article saw these attractive bandits as brave rebels oh they're cool fun young people who are actually doing something to revolt against the state of the country so they so, glamorized it. Yeah, they Whoa. they so they kind of they kind of like kind of like gossip and like reality TV meets rock stars and gangsters. So they were sort of somewhat celebs. People were looking up to them and thinking that they were fucking cool because they were because the country is such in such a shit state at the time. 
they had the balls to go f- like fuck the system and just went on a rampage and people thought that that was cool oh, i bet they loved that yeah so the barrow gang went on their merry way they acclimatized to life back on the road robbing petrol stations and little banks to keep themselves afloat the problem was that if anyone got in their way law enforcement or civilian they would shoot and kill them and as no one really likes murderer their cool rebellious reputation started to fade away because they were just actually just getting a bit shitty right the general public started to both hate and fear them now you know that they had that super fast car well on one occasion it turned out to be too fast and too furious oh no yes so during the aftermath of a robbery the barrow gang were hurtling down the road when they ended up crashing straight into another car setting their own car alight whoa yeah it gets pretty rough so whilst most of them were pretty busted up they were okay but bonnie was really seriously injured and she had severe burns on her legs Uh, one of them was so bad that wd later claimed that he could see her bone oh my god yeah yeah she could hardly walk and the pain was pushing her in and out of consciousness so the group found shelter in a farmhouse they hold up there for a bit and a couple members of the group went out to rob a town to get provisions and medicine for Bonnie's leg. The job went badly though and after killing another police officer, God. they all fled again to Plate City in Missouri. They found an inn that would take them called the Red Town Cavern and immediately went about putting newspapers all over the windows and getting beers in because they didn't want to be seen and also it's totally not suspicious maybe this yeah <laughs> they went out again to rob a pharmacy for bonnie but the guy behind the counter recognized clyde and rang the police they headed back to the inn where the owner was also suspicious and called the cops thus ensuing cop shootout number two. Oh, good. yeah they're just it's just constant 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 i'm surprised they've still got ammunition but they keep raiding places so yeah they keep them topped up the cops by this point had had enough with the Barrow gang, and they weren't taking any risks. They rolled up to Redtown Cavern with submachine guns and an armoured car. A huge gunfight kicked off. Bullets and smoke were flying around the air, and there were injuries and casualties on both sides. Buck took a bullet to the head. Buck. So much so that an actual chunk of his skull came off. Incredibly, he was still alive. No. But he was in awful shape. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, Whoa, God. my head. <laughs> oh, my God. That's probably one way you'd wish maybe that it had just done it. Yeah. There's no... How do you come back from that? You can't come back from that. Imagine seeing your skull just fly across the roof. Fuck. Yeah. Blanche was blinded by stray glass. Oh. I know. And she never found her dog. I know. She she's, right now. She's had it rough, hasn't she? Yeah. Blanche. Poor Blanche. Feel like she got ta- she got dragged along through this whole thing. I don't know if her heart was in it. The Barrow gang had taken heavy hits, but still somehow managed to barrel into their fast car and get away. Because they like their fast cars. They got another one. Right. They're really good at stealing cars. Well, yeah, it probably wasn't that hard back then either. Was nah. It? They made their way to an abandoned theme park in Iowa, where the gang laid low for a few days. Blanche couldn't see. Bonnie couldn't walk. And although Buck could talk and eat he was sure to be a goner so when the police caught up with them 
It was like catching fish in a barrel. Dedication on their part, though. You got Blanche that's got glass in her eye and is now blinded. Then Bonnie with a burnt leg that she couldn't walk on. Bonnie actually refused Clyde's offers of going to the hospital. He offered to take her to the hospital and leave her there to get oh. proper medical help because she had still loved him. She didn't want to leave him. So she put herself through agonising pain God, just so she didn't have to be on her own. The risk of infection as well. Exactly. It's not glamorous anymore, is no, it? No, it's not. It's like we're, we're decrepit. <laughs> yeah. We're falling apart. Bonnie, Clyde and WD scarpered, but Buck and Blanche were captured, with Buck dying from his head injuries just a few days later. That's probably going to like fuel Clyde's rage. Yeah. Isn't it? At the police. Yeah. He killed his mate. Rage against the machine. WD then split up with the lovers a few days later and was also arrested. So now it was just Bonnie and Clyde together until the bitter end. Without knowing what was coming to them, Bonnie and Clyde continued on with their plan to enact revenge on the Eastern Prison Farm. So they're still on that they're still on that train. They I w- forgot about the plan. Yeah, that, that was the plan and they're they're still they still want to do the plan. Right, okay. Yeah. So they're surely they're just getting further and further away from uh, their target. They're just driving around the yeah. country roads, just yeah. Somehow, even with Bonnie still treating some pretty horrendous burns, in January nineteen thirty four, Clyde managed to break out a bunch of inmates from the prison, causing absolute havoc in the process. My mind is blown as to how they managed to do this. <laughs> yeah. Are there any guards? But They weren't done with their revenge on the Texas Department of Corrections and so during the job killed the local mayor. Oh. Yeah. I don't know why he can't just, like, let it go. He's out. Just to go go live a peaceful life by a lake somewhere. Why? I don't don't understand why he had to get revenge on the prison. I guess... He went through the worst parts of his life there. Actually, yeah. He lost his toes. He was raped continually. Yeah, he's probably, he's got a vendetta. They, they took a lot from him. And But like, at what point is enough? Like, how do you get revenge on a prison? Well, I guess it's never going to be enough. No. But like, he doesn't care anymore. No. I just feel like he was always going to be somewhat unfulfilled and disappointed. It's not like you're just getting revenge on a person. So they've killed the mayor. This triggered a massive manhunt across the states for Bonnie and Clyde. And for the next few months, Bonnie, Clyde and a few fleeting members of the Barrow gang played cat and mouse with the police. They were just driving around the country roads, continuously being chased. Right. Like, do a little rob, have a little chase. So they kept robbing, they kept killing, even killing two highway patrolmen with fellow gang member and friend Harry Metfin for getting in the way during a botched robbery. But thankfully, for the Western states, their spree was soon to come to an end. Well, there's not many of them left now, is there? By the end of 1934, Clyde was wanted on no less than 16 warrants for crimes he and the gang had committed. 16 warrants. Square lad. Frank Hamer was put on the case to capture them. Frank was a no-nonsense man and was apparently not known for his tolerance. He'd killed over 53 people in his work and injured 17 others. He said, The best way to enforce the law is of a slug in the gut. 
Oh. Frank had been studying the gang's movements and found that they stayed almost in a circle skirting the edges of five Midwestern states, exploiting the state line rule, which prevented officers from pursuing a fugitive into another ju- jurisdiction. Right. So okay. Like, ha you can't get me now. I That's see. how it works. Yeah. Frank's posse was composed of six men, Texas officers Hamer, Hinton, Alcorn and BM Maney Galt and Louisiana officers Henderson, Jordan and Prentice Moral Oakley. And there's actually a movie about them called The Highway Man. Frank knew that Bonnie and Clyde were consistent in their pattern of movements so it could be predicted where they would go. One thing they also knew after tracking them for a while was that in between robberies and hideouts, they would also run family visits. And they were due to see Methin's family in Louisiana. Remember Henry Methin from a second ago? He was a fleeting member of the Barrow Gang. In a bit of an East End gang kind of way, Bonnie and Clyde liked to treat their members like family. Clyde had also designated Henry's parents' house as a rendezvous point should they become separated. So on 21st of May, the four posse members from Texas heard a rumour that Bonnie and Clyde were planning to visit Ivy Methin that evening. It was go time. The full posse set up an ambush along the Louisiana State Highway 154 by 9pm and waited through the whole of the next day with no sign of the famous duo. At approximately 9am the next morning, on the 23rd of May, they were still waiting in the ambush and almost ready to give up when they heard a car approaching at high speed. Now, the posse were smart. The badass highwaymen, police crew, had persuaded the Metfin dad to work to work with them, probably by force. So it wasn't like, it was like, you're going to do this. To position his truck on the road... So when, like, looking like he's broken down, so Clyde would stop to help him. But they had put an ambush in the hedges, so Bonnie and Clyde were in the line of fire. As if by magic, Bonnie and Clyde's Ford V8 finally came into view. They'd clearly seen old man Betvin looking distressed on the side of the road, and he had slowed down to help. It was the last thing that they would ever do. Frank Hamer's posse, armed to the teeth with guns, opened fire, slowing down the car. So they didn't even give him a chance to stop. Nah. Right, okay. Right. Bullets and smoke filled the air as the officers shot over 130 rounds of ammunition into the car and they got, they got fucking shot up. Savage. One of the group later gave a statement saying, each of us six officers had a shotgun and an automatic rifle and pistols. We opened fire with the automatic rifles... They were emptied before the car even got with us. Then we used the shotguns. There was smoke coming from the car and it looked like it was on fire. After shooting the shotguns, we emptied the pistols at the car, which had passed us and ran into a ditch about 50 yards down the road. It almost turned over. We kept shooting at the car even though it had stopped. We weren't taking any chances. End quote. So they went to town on this car. It seems excessive. Yeah. Like, I know that they keep getting away and they keep doing, like, bad things and they don't care if they kill anyone. But, like, there's ensuring that you stop a criminal 
and there's emptying three types of gun onto a car that's already crashed. Yeah, that was an immediate execution there, wasn't it? Yeah, like, like I don't feel like... Trial, that, yeah, like. I don't feel like that was seeking justice. I feel no. like that was murder. That was, <laughs> that was a unprofessional. Like, I mean, the guy... Like there was no, there was no even like try and take them alive. Like no. they need to go down for this. Yeah, which is odd. But but, that, but why? But that is the whole thing. Like mm. what's to say, Frank? That is his whole. Like he's like, yeah, but that's he's, bullshit. How yeah. did he get away with that? I don't know. Like, <laughs> police, isn't it? That's his method of. Yeah, like just, I'm not excusing anything that Bonnie and Clyde have done. No, no, no. But he said, yeah. But you just you, he quoted earlier, like the best form of justice is what a slug in the gut, like. He just yeah, like, this be gone is, with you. This has given me you. the ick. I've got the ick. Yeah. About, so they, 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 they brutally murdered them. So Clyde was shot in the head and died instantly from the first shot. And reports state they heard Bonnie screaming, and but she didn't survive, obviously. Once it was over, the officers inspected the vehicle and discovered a huge number of weapons, including automatic rifles, sawn-off semi-automatic shotguns, assorted handguns and several thousand rounds of ammunition, along with 15 sets of licence plates from various states. Word of the deaths quickly got around when Frank Hamer and others drove into town to telephone their respective departments and bosses, and a large crowd soon gathered at the spot of the ambush. The two men left to guard the bodies lost control of the excitable crowd with one lady cutting off locks of Bonnie's hair, which, oh my was, God. which was coated in her blood, and one man was said to be trying to cut off Clyde's trigger finger. What the fuck? I know! The bullet-riddled car, with the dead bodies still inside, was towed to the Conga Furniture Store and Funeral Parlour in downtown Arcadia, Louisiana. The population of the town reportedly grew from 2,000 to 12,000 within hours of the deaths being reported. People were said to have arrived by train, horseback, buggy and plane. Beer normally sold for 15 cents a bottle, but it jumped up to 25 cents a bottle and sandwiches sold out. Heck, I know. Clyde had been shot in the head by a .5 Remington Model 8. His father, Henry Barrow, identified his son's body, then sat weeping in a rocking chair in the furniture section. Oh. H.D. Darby was an undertaker at the McClure Funeral Parlour and Sophia Stone was a home demonstration agent, both from nearby Ruston. Both of them came to identify the bodies because the Barrow gang had kidnapped them in 1933. Oh my God, really? I wonder yeah, why. they were making that. I don't know. Money? I don't know. Bonnie was said to have laughed when she discovered that Darby was an undertaker. She remarked that maybe someday he would be working on her. Darby did assist in the embalming. So what, a weird, what a weird circle there. Bonnie and Clyde had a wish to be buried together, side by side, but their family wouldn't allow it. Bonnie's mum wanted to grant her final wish to be brought home but the mob surrounding the Parker house made the, that impossible reported number of over 20,000 people attended her funeral and the family had difficulty reaching her gravesite so her own family couldn't even fa- this see whole her. thing is just outrageous actually isn't it it is like, 
Flowers came from everywhere, including some with cards allegedly from other famous criminals, such as Pretty Boy Floyd and John Dillinger. The largest floral tribute was sent by uh, a group of Dallas City newsboys. The sudden end of Bonnie and Clyde sold 500,000 newspapers. Oh, wow. In Dallas alone. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Bonnie was buried in the Fish Trap Cemetery, although her body was moved in 1945 to the new Crown Hill Cemetery in Dallas. Clyde's private funeral was held on May 25th. He was buried in Western Heights Cemetery in Dallas, next to his brother Marvin. The brothers share a single granite marker with their names on it and an epitaph selected by Clyde that says, Gone but not forgotten. Which is true. (laughs) Yes. The pair will certainly not be forgotten. They're the most infamous criminal couple in history. Famous for their crimes, but also their romance. And to this day, Bonnie's niece and last surviving relative is campaigning to have her aunt exhumed and reburied next to her love, Clyde. Oh, that's quite nice, because I do think it's a bit sad, like that. I know that they're criminals, and I know that they've done loads of wrong. I don't agree with the way that they were brought down. Um, But, like, also, they could have just been buried together. Yeah. It was a very dramatic ending. That seemed to happen very quickly and quite disrespectfully. Like I, I, I yeah, like I don't even think I I can understand like it it's it is dis it, well, it's disrespectful, but like, you know, I'm not I'm I'm not sure what level of respect they would deserve. Yeah. But like that yeah, you're right. That was an execution that wasn't uh okay, we've got a this is a sting operation to capture these criminals. Yeah. It was an execution with no trial, no jury, no Exactly. It's, yeah. I don't think that's, I mean, I I don't think murder is right, obviously, but I think... You sound really far away. When when it comes to the law, I think the law should stick to the law's rules. Like, you know, do a trial. Like, you don't, yeah, he's, he's given, he's granted himself a few different titles there. Judge, jury. Yeah. Executioner. Exactly. And that was the story of Bonnie and Clyde. Wow. There's lots of films um, based on Bonnie and Clyde. And um, my favourite one, The Look Of, Bonnie and Clyde versus Dracula. <laughs> what? Is this like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? Can you see that? Oh, goodness. Bonnie and Clyde versus Dracula. <laughs> okay. It looks terrible. There are loads of films that you can watch about Bonnie and Clyde because they're so famous. Um, just write Bonnie and Clyde movies in Google and a list of them will come up. But The Highwaymen looks good because that's based, that's actually about The Highwaymen. So the people trying to track them down. Yeah. So you can watch that and see from their perspective what it was like. If you're, if well, you are. you can see a Hollywood dramatisation. Well, that, but I, that's what I mean. Like, obviously we're not really in agreement to the way that they executed the execution. Um, but it might be interesting to see it. From their perspective. Okay. Why are you looking at me like that for? I feel like, <laughs> well, they paying you? <laughs> no. No. I, I just watched the end scene of it and it was cool. Stop watching the end of films, you weirdo. No, I just wanted to see the bloody scene at no. the end. I watched it on YouTube. Helen does have a bad habit of being like, yeah, I saw this film and it was really good and this happens in it and this happens in it and then she's accidentally told you the whole film. 
And I'm like, well, I don't want to watch it now because you've just told me everything that happens. But I don't know how, like, what level of information you need for you to want to go watch it. I don't need to know what, what, I don't want you to tell me what happens. All right. I like noted, noted. I'll try and be less, I'll give you more of a synopsis rather than a, an actual narration. I feel that we should have a movie marathon of all the films that have been inspired by this season. You're going to have to come to me, though. Uh, yeah. No, there's nothing wrong with that. Because uh, we know why. <gasps> well, there's like four weeks until... So I'm, so, I'm actually if we really can fit, scared we might, and nervous We can fit you. some in. We can fit some in before she comes. Okay. I'm fucking terrified. I don't know why I'm terrified. I'm just, it's just sinking in now and it's like... It's okay, you don't have to do anything. No, I I'll, I'll do all the work. I know. For our baby. <laughs> I was. I. I. I no, I'm not gonna lie. Helen, I, I have been Helen, saying, you I are the father. I, I will admit that I do feel like I have. There is some ownership of this child, <laughs> and I'm like our baby, our baby. I think it is because we're so mutual on the kind of parenthood, baby yeah. making thing. We're both like by it, and it's like ah. So I didn't. I didn't tell you that I did have. Um, yeah, I did have. We've did all our antenatal classes recently. Um, and so I've actually got to meet some other people who are the same amount of pregnant as me. And that's yes. nice. Um, and it's nice. And that's been really helpful, actually, to just see that they also have back pain and can't bend down to pick things up and get tired putting their shoes on. And um, But as part of the classes, they teach you how to like um, swaddle a baby and change its nappy and stuff. And they give you a plastic baby. And she gave me the plastic baby and like immediately, as soon as I had it in my hands, I don't know what happened, but my brain just went, what the fuck? And my, like, my heart started racing. I started to sweat. Like I was like starting to breathe really fast. And I was like, oh God, I'm going to have one of these. I don't even like holding, I don't hold people's babies. I don't understand why anybody would want to offer their baby to you to hold. Like, hi, I've just spent nine months gestating this most precious thing do you want to hold it? No, of course I fucking don't. I will hold my own baby and that will be the baby I hold. And then I might feel more comfortable holding someone else's baby. I'm holding this plastic baby. I'm freaking the fuck out. I'm, I'm, I'm losing it. And I was like, Baker, Baker, I need you to take the baby. I need you to hold the baby. And I just had to have like a moment where I was like, oh, <laughs> what have I done? Yeah. And then when we changed the, the, the nappy, we went to change the nappy. It was anatomically correct, but it was a boy. Oh, no. And then there was this willy to deal with. And I was like, oh, this is all just too much. God. I think the funniest thing, one of the funniest things, is you saying you, you've joined a mum's group chat. Well, there is the, all the mums from the class. I know. Is. It's like you're in a mums group chat. Yeah, that's really comforting to me. I know, but I saw a picture of you on my Facebook memories from 13 years ago on a swing when we were doing our first film project. <laughs> and now you're in a mums group chat. It's yeah, like, ah! it's a bit weird, isn't it? 13 years ago, you were dressed as Spyro, painted completely head to toe in purple. Oh, and no. I was dressed like Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, times have changed, I know. Next season on Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard, and my unborn child, who will be born <gasps> by then. By then. Oh. Look, we'll be serving up more of the wildest true crime cases you love. 
as well as a side of crane chat probably subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of devils in the dark and follow us on instagram at devils in the dark to be the first to hear when we'll be back for season three in the meantime if you've been affected by any of these themes in the episode please do check out the description for lots of helpful resources special thanks to our wonderful producers at audio boom studios see you next time see you soon we'll miss you love you bye